if you were with us for the last couple of weeks, you recognize the theme, right? And the theme of 2 Timothy is the gospel. Right? Paul is writing this letter to Timothy right before his death so that Timothy can be a faithful steward of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So as we are going to talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ again, um, I was just thinking about the sermon, and I was thinking maybe this, this sermon series will perhaps be challenging to some of us because I think maybe some of us for, for the entirety of our Christian walk, had a misunderstanding of what the Christian life is about, specifically what the gospel is. So on Friday, we had a small group, and one of the questions that I asked was, a lot of people, Christianity can be something else other than the gospel. That was a question, right? Unfortunately, Christianity can be so many things other than the gospel. What are some of the things that Christianity can be other than the gospel? And the small group members like shared, one of the members shared, Christianity could be all about living, doing right things, being compliant with things of God. We can make Christianity that thing rather than the gospel. Or some of, some of them, or another person said, Christianity can be about seeking Christ, like seeking spiritual experiences other than the understanding of the gospel. We can, certainly, you can, we can certainly make Christianities about experiencing God as opposed to understanding the gospel. You see how it goes? Like People can make Christianity something else other than the gospel. But Paul's charge to Timothy is, no, 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 Christianity is not about anything else. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then what is the gospel of Jesus Christ, I ask you? And maybe some of you can say, the gospel is Jesus Christ dying for me for my sins. Well, that is true. The full gospel is why Jesus needed to die for your sins. Right? And the reason why Jesus needed to die for your sins it is so that you can have eternal life. And what is eternal life? Eternal life is basically you having life with God. The reason Jesus Christ came into the world, the reason why Jesus Christ died for our sins, the reason why Jesus Christ raised from the dead, it is so that he can give us eternal life. Eternal life is life with God. That's the purpose of the gospel, life with God. And this is a theme that we're going to, this, this, is, this life with God theme, it's a theme that will permeate the entirety of our sermon here, okay? So as you know, we are doing our Bible reading series on the Old Testament, and we're starting in Genesis. Man, I got drunk with Genesis this week. Man, I was geeking out on Genesis, really, right? Some, get geek, some can get geeked out of, about Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Some can get geeked out about I don't know, San Francisco 49ers. But me, I got geeked out of Genesis, right? And the thing that just I meditate upon, and the thing that I prayed for you this week, is all about the tree of life. This week, all of you, I can see all of you here, and every, for every single one of you, 
and let me for the people who are new, but for every single one of you that I see, this week, what I pray for you is, you will experience the tree of life. And what is a tree of life? In the Garden of Eden, in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verse 9. In the middle of the Garden of Eden, there was a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. By the way, when you read the Bible, if there's something that you don't understand, stop and study it. Right? So that verse, yeah, okay, tree of life, tree of good and evil. For a long time, we just kind of overpassed that, but I stopped there. And I said, huh, what is this tree of life business? And what is the tree of knowledge of good and evil business? So what did I do? I investigated. What is the significance of the tree of life in the middle of the, in the, middle of the garden? In the middle of the garden, there was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life, right, is the life that symbolizes God's own life in the world. The tree of life is the life that is, it is life that it symbolizes God's own life and creative, creative power that is available to the, to the people in the world. So God dwells with the people in the world and his life was present in that tree of life. And Adam and Eve can eat from the tree of the fruit of tree of the tree of life. When they eat from the tree of life, they will experience, you know, the union with God and the creative power of God. That's the tree of life, the presence of God. And when we eat from that fruit, when we eat from the tree from that fruit, we can experience the life with God. Huh? Good, right? But there's another tree. Another tree is a tree of the knowledge and good and evil. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What is that tree about? I think what that tree is about is that tree symbolizes, stands for the truth that God is the determiner of what is good and evil. That tree in the garden, it says, God himself is the one who decides what is good and evil. And the reason why God says don't eat from that tree is, if you eat from that tree, what you are saying here is, that tree symbolizes that God is the authority of good and evil, but me eating from the tree means I don't agree with that tree. Me eating from the tree means I'm the decider. Decider, is that a word? I'm the one who decides what is good and evil. You see? The reason God says do not eat from that tree is you don't get to decide what is good and evil. It's me. But Adam and Eve says, nope, it's me. And that is the genesis of sin. Uh, me having the ability to have to the final determiner of what is good and evil. And from that moment on, every human being that has ever been born from Adam gets to decide what is good and evil. But the problem is, everyone has have different versions of what a good and evil is. Everyone has their own idea of what is good and evil. And when we disagree with good and evil, we don't disagree politely. We disagree, the people that we disagree with about good and evil, we want them to be dead. It's weird. Yesterday, it was father and daughter date afternoon. And I said, baby, what do you want to do? And she said, I want to see a movie. And I go, Oh, please, Lord, do not let me, her want to see that movie. And she said, I want to see that movie. I go, oh, my gosh. I'm not going to say which movie. 
because I don't want to market it. But it's a movie that a lot of teenage girls are particularly interested in right now. It's about high school. It's about, you know what I'm It's about high school girls, right? It's a musical movie about a high school girl. You get what, I'm, you get what movie I, I, went to, I went to watch? So I went to watch that movie music of a high school girl. Me, my daughter, and a lot of teenage girls. Just me sitting there. I paid Dolby Stereo prices, Sean Stark. <laughs> Dolby Stereo Theory prices, my goodness. So I was watching that movie, and it made me very sad. Not because the music was bad, the music was okay. But the whole theme of that movie is, this is, what, this is the tagline of the movie. It's a, the movie says, just because you judge someone to be stupid doesn't make you smart. Just because you judge someone to be ugly, it doesn't make you beautiful. So stop judging. Good message, yeah? But as we were coming out of the movie, I was telling my daughter, you know, that's a good theme. But you and me cannot help but to judge other people. We cannot help but to judge other people. And the judgment that we pass is not innocent, objective, clinical. It is vicious. It is soul-destroying. Right? It is a horrible thing. That movie was depicts just this horrible judgment that these teenage girls levy on each other. And unfortunately, that movie, even though it's fiction, it depicts reality. When we eat from that tree, we're saying, I decide what is good and, good and evil. And from that moment on, everyone, everywhere, all at once, Judge each other to be good and evil according to our standards. We even judge God. Did you know that? Ever since we eat from that tree, we even judge God. If God does something that makes sense to me and good for me, oh, I love God. If God does something, give us something challenging, God doesn't exist. God doesn't love me. Isn't it weird? We judge God. That judgment is the thing that causes destruction, division, and death in this world. We're supposed to eat from the tree, of the tree of life. We're supposed to eat from the life of God. But rather, we're eating from the tree of good and knowledge of good and evil that causes us judgment, that causes us to judge everything and everywhere. What Jesus Christ comes to do is he comes to rescue us from people who cannot help but to, but to judge everything. He comes to rescue our sinful people with our sinful disposition. And he takes us out of that disposition. And he gives us, he, he implants us back to the tree of life. The reason Jesus Christ came and died for us is so that he can, he can cleanse us from our sins and not only that, when he, was raised from, when he was raised from death, the power that raised Jesus from death is the same power that transitions us from the area of sinful disposition to the area of tree of life. Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Within me, abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. 
Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, I am the tree of life. If you abide in me, you're going to experience the same thing that you experienced from the tree of life, which is life with God. Gospel is about life with God. Not life with God in theory, but life with God in reality. Christianity, being saved, having eternal life, is experiencing the life of God in you, in this world, until you go to heaven. If you are a Christian, the life of God will flow through you, and you will experience it. I'm telling you, that's true. Look. My friends, my life is like an Italian opera. There are highs and there are lows. There's craziness and there's insanity. But my gosh, there's God. When I sin, oh boy, go big or go home, right? Oh, I sin big. And I am aware of my sin. I mean, I don't go like, you know clubbing and getting drunk and do drugs and stuff. That's not, that's not my Saturday, right? But like, there is the sin that I, you know, that I am aware of. And then and, and, and I go to God with it and God says, smacks me or he gently yells at me and he corrects me and he forgives me and I have a new understanding and I evolve. In moments of fellowship with him, I feel his love in me. Right? I feel his provision in my life. Yesterday I was praying and I was just looking back about my career. My career basically is God just letting me stay and when he wanted me to move, he opened up one door and I go through that door and I stay until he opened another door and I go through that door. I'm never the popular one. I was never the one where recruiters just shower their resumes with to me. I wasn't the popular like prom queen, right? I was never the I was never popular. Not with girls, not with recruiters, not with companies, right? It's just I just wait. God placed me somewhere. And I blast my resume to the smithereens, darkness, and then one door opens and I go in that door and I stay. And the heel was another one. That's the course of my 20-year legal career. Every step he provides, man. He corrects me. He loves me. He forgives me. He provides for me. He gives me passion. He is alive. That is the life of God. Am I experiencing this life of God because I'm some amazing God? No. Paul makes it clear last week. You, this is not by your work. It's by the grace of God. And that's true. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, I am, We are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. What does he mean? He means it's not easy being a Christian. 
Sometimes there are, there are pressures. Sometimes there's tragedy. Sometimes there are all these things. But by the grace of God, these things do not overwhelm us. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 14, 6, 16, he says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Paul says, outwardly, I'm being persecuted, but inwardly, I'm being renewed day by day. Oh, my friends, that's the Christian life. The Christian life is the inward renewal. I'll say it, Christian life, it is a normal thing for a Christian to experience the life of God. In fact, it is the opposite for the Christian. Should, be, should, be, should have spiritual dryness. Spiritual dryness comes to everyone, and that's true. I was spiritually dry for a couple of days in December. That's true. But the norm is not spiritual dryness. The norm is spiritual vitality. I'm not saying this to shame you. I'm saying this to, to tell you what is normal for the Christian. Why? Because the gospel purpose of the gospel is to give us life in God. And if you're not experiencing life with God, then might tell what's the purpose of the gospel. Right? Look, Christian life is hard. Life is hard. But in that hard life, within the hardness of life, guys, the grace of God is there. When you go through hard times, listen to sermons when you go through hard times. When you listen to sermons during hard times, your ears will open. Sermons make a lot more sense to you. You know, how, you know how when you break up with someone, the love song, cheesy love songs, like, make, really make sense to you? When you go through hardship, brokenhearted, disappointment, open your ears to the word of God, and God will make perfect sense to you. Because the life of God is there, coursing through you, wanting you to share it with it. Do not think... Spiritual idleness is the norm. It's not. It's not. Spiritual vitality is the norm. Do you understand? Don't be satisfied in your idleness. Don't be satisfied with your deadness. Maybe the reason why we don't read the Bible is because we just just have a negative view. We'll say, what's the point of me doing this? I'm going to feel the same way anyway. No, 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 no. Study the word. Fellowship with the Lord through prayer. And he will open up his life to you. That is the gospel that Paul is suffering for. And that is the gospel that Paul is dying for. In verse 12, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. There's not a reason for Paul to be ashamed of the gospel. He's in jail because of the gospel. Not a nice jail, but a dungeon jail. I saw a picture of jail that Paul was in. Everything's made out of rocks. It's just rocks. 
He's in a dungeon of rocks, waiting to die. What makes it worse is people that he loved, people that he discipled, all abandoned him. He's alone. Dude, if you're in prison, in a rocky prison, and everyone that you love has gone, and you're going to die for the thing that you, for the message that you preached, should you kind of maybe rethink, did I do the right thing here? It can be tempting for him to be ashamed of the gospel. People are making fun of him. You idiot, Paul. What are you doing, man? Look, being afraid of people's opinion of us, it's a real thing. People's opinion of us holds a lot of sway. Look, on Friday, I was sending a small group this. Like, I, I, I received an email that says, a CEO of a capital investment firm wanted to talk to me. Because someone recommended my name to him. Like, oh, curious, who is this guy? So I typed his name. There are a lot of articles about him. And he wanted to talk to me? Little old me? So I called him. Right before I called him, I go, Lord, give me wisdom. And I called him. And he told me his situation. I, full disclaimer, I did not give legal advice. I listened and I gave opinions, but I did not give any legal advice for the Bar Association, right? <laughs> Brian, you're going to be where I am, man, right? Oh, and he was impressed. I was like talking to him, and I go, wow, this is pretty good, right? I was talking to him for an hour, and he go, oh, thank you. You made, it so, you made everything so clear. We'll keep in touch. Hung up. He liked me. A capital investment firm that has written articles. He really, really liked me. And for 10 minutes, I felt like Harvey Specter. I felt great. I felt like the best lawyer in the world. But then I thought about this sermon. If I told that guy what I really believed in, that there is no other life than Jesus Christ. That all these riches are nothing compared to the riches of Jesus, in Jesus Christ. He'll call me an idiot. When you tell people, not that you believe in God, because they're not going to be offended if you tell them if you believe in God, but if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, a lot of people will think that you're a mega Republican. You're an ignorant fundamentalist boob. But Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Verse 12, for I know whom I believe. When Paul says, I know whom I believe, the word know here, knowledge here, it doesn't mean a theoretical 
you know, it doesn't mean a theoretical doctrinal understanding. It means a personal knowledge. I know whom I believe. The Jesus that I know is not a doctrine. It's not a Sunday, Sunday after Sunday morning church service. But it is a living Lord that I have a relationship with. That has been good to me. Who saved me, who used me. And because Paul knew Christ that way, he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. That's life with God. That close intimacy with Christ. One of his John, John the Apostle John's disciples was Ignatius, right? And this Ignatius was, cursed, was, going, was an old man when he, got, when he got hauled into the Roman government. And the Roman governor said, you're, old, you're an old man. We're not going to kill you. Just say you don't believe in Jesus, right? And then we're going to let you go. And Ignatius says, how can I deny my Lord who has been good to me all my life? You see what he's doing there? It isn't doctrine. It isn't his cultural background that made Ignatius so courageous. It is personal knowledge of Jesus Christ and the living God. And my dear friends, that knowledge is yours. That's what Christ died for, died for himself, for, died, died so that you, he can give you that life. The gospel is about spiritual vitality in God. Do not think it's natural for you to be spiritually dry. It's not. It is natural for you to be spiritually alive. Paul says in verse 12, I know whom I believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what he has entrusted to me. So Paul is courageous before he died. Paul is courageous before his death because Paul knew who Jesus was. And number two, Paul was confident that God will continue his work of the gospel even after he dies. In verse 12, when Paul says, I am confident that he will guard what he has entrusted to me, the thing that God has entrusted to Paul is this. It's the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is God's ultimate treasure. And he gave the ultimate treasure. He deposited the ultimate treasure to Paul. And Paul's life, Paul is just a shell. Paul viewed his life as just an outer shell that contains that treasure. And the purpose of Paul's life is to share that treasure with the, with, with the world. That's how Paul viewed his life. Paul says, God has given me this incredible, precious message of the gospel. I am nothing. I am just the shell of the gospel. And my job is to demonstrate that, that treasure Preach that treasure. Share that treasure with the people around me. 
Paul says, even if I die, that treasure is not going to die with me. God is going to, that treasure that he has entrusted to me, God will still guard it in the world so that other people, he'll, he'll, he'll give it to other people so that more people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul can die comfortably because Paul, Paul called, viewed himself as, Paul viewed his mission as a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a container of the gospel. That's how he viewed himself. And he says, I don't care if I die, because even if I die, that message will go on. In the face of death, what comforted Paul was the fact that God's great work will continue. Paul will be with God, but God's great work will continue. Paul's confidence before death was in the sovereignty of God. Listen. All of us face anxiety of whatever sorts. Life is uncertain, to say mildly. Life is a big black box. Life is, life is a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get, right? My daughter says, Dad, you know a lot of pop culture. That's right, baby. Life is a big dark box. You don't know what you're going to get. And therefore, it is very natural for you to be anxious. Definition of anxiety is, Worrying about what will happen to you in the future. That's anxiety. But the, only, but the reason why you're anxious is because we are anxious because our primary concern is really about what is going to happen to us. Underneath that anxious spirit is a concern that the, that the most important thing about me is what's going to happen to me and the people that I love, right? If what's going to happen to me and the people that I love, if that's the ultimate treasure, then you're always going to be anxious because you don't know what's going to happen to you and the people that you love. You understand? Underneath the anxiety is this over-self-love. The number one, number one thing that you love is what's going to happen to you. So the only way that you will change, you'll be free from anxiety, is to really change what you love. You know? This sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Free from anxiety is loving yourself less and loving Christ more, because that was the secret behind Paul's confidence. Once again, Paul was not anxious before death because he knew Christ and he knew that the mission of Christ will continue. That's what he concerned about. His concern was about knowing Christ and the mission of Christ. When his life was about those two things, it really didn't matter whether he's going to live or die. The way you're going to be free from anxiety is to, for you to be something else other than a person that is obsessed with your own interest. Truly. When you experience the vitality of God, when you walk with God, when you experience the life with God, when you experience God like me, like an Italian opera, highs and lows, just, oh, but, 
ooh, real. You're not going to be so obsessed about what is, what's going to happen to you. You're not, so, you're not going to be so obsessed about whether you make partner or not. You're not going to be so much obsessed about, you know, like everything that the world gets obsessed about. Because the more you know Christ, the things of the world became strangely dim, right? That's what really happens. And when that happens, you can endure uncertainty. Because in the midst of the uncertainty, you know you are with Christ. So that gives you the anxiety, the, the, the strength to overcome anxiety. Look, I can tell you, when you're anxious, when you say, oh, Pastor Jay, I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow, and I'll tell you, it's okay. Pray about it. God's going to protect you. I can say that to you. You tell me you're anxious, and I'll say, pray about it. God's going to protect you. But let's be honest. That statement, that advice that I give you, it's not going to really make a difference to you. Unless you have this fellowship with the Lord, unless you know the Lord. Do you understand? Also, You'll be free from anxiety if you, if you start thinking what is important is not what you want to do. If the priority is not your comfort, if the priority is mission, is, is, is completing the mission that God has set before you, if that's the priority, if the priority is completing what, God, what the mission that God has given you, if that's what is important to you, you're not going to care so much about what, what's going to happen to you in this world. Look, there is a race that God has marked all of us to run. There's a race that God has marked everyone of us to run. Your focus is running that race. The reason for the anxiety is we don't know what our race is. We don't know what we're about. We don't know what we're for. We don't know what the purpose of our life is. The reason for the anxiety is you don't know what you're for. But if you know what you're for, these uncertainties will not scare you so much. You understand? Paul says, I'm going to die, but I'm confident because I know whom I believed. And I know God's going to take care of the gospel message. So Paul says, Timothy, 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 I'm going to die. Verse 14, what you need to do, verse 13, follow my pattern in sound words that I have heard, that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Timothy, I'm going to die. But what you need to do is two things. Number one, model my teaching. The teaching that you have heard from me, model it, share it with other people. And number two, Follow, be faith, uh, number two, teach these words that you have heard from me with faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. This is the job description of every pastor. The job description of every pastor is preach the word, and two, preach the word in faith and love. 
That's the job duty of every pastor. If you preach the word without faith and love, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be a Pharisee. You're going to start judging other people by, the, by your theology. That happens. But if you only emphasize love and faith and not sound teaching, you're not going to give your people anything that is useful. Because how would people know what love is? How would people know what faith is apart from theology? You can, you can tell your people to love Jesus. You can have people to have faith in Jesus. But if you don't have a theological definition of what faith and love is, how are they going to grow in faith and love? Do you understand? I'm a lawyer. I'm really into definitions. But in order for you to understand, to, to live a life of love and faith, you need to know what love and faith is. And the only way that you truly know what love and faith is, is through theology. Teach it, Timothy, but live it out in faith and love in Christ. And Timothy, you cannot do any of this apart from the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 14 is about. The Holy Spirit is a living spirit of, it's the spirit of the living God. Living within the believers. If you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is living with you. The reason why spiritual vitality is possible is because the Holy Spirit is living with you. You can commune with God through the Holy Spirit. Timothy, Paul says, the way that you'll be faithful in teaching, the way you'll be faithful in love and faith is that the Holy Spirit will need to empower you. You cannot live without the Holy Spirit. My dear Christians, you cannot live the Christian life without the intervention of the Holy Spirit. Christianity is not about read the Bible, do what it says, and that's not what it is. Christianity is the interaction with the living God and the interaction with the living God influencing you to conform your life to the, to the written word of God. That's what Christianity is. It is a constant continual meeting with God where God will change you so that you will live in a conformity to the word of God. That's what Christianity is. You cannot live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. He hasn't designed it for you to live that way. Guys, why do I pray that I do at 2 o'clock in the morning? Because I know that I can't do anything apart here without the help of the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, I'm just a broken record. Spilling out nonsense to you. It is the Holy Spirit that grips you to who Jesus is. Personally, you cannot live without the Holy Spirit. Fathers, personally, you cannot be a good father without the Holy Spirit. Husbands, you cannot be a good husband without the Holy Spirit. Wives, you cannot be a good wife without the Holy Spirit. You cannot. God has not designed it to be that way. Interact with the Spirit of God. But you know what happens if you do not interact with the Spirit of God? You end up like... Philegius and Harmonogy. Harmonogy. My voice. Philegius and Harmonogy were two Christians. 
who abandoned the faith. We don't know why they abandoned the faith, but they did. But I think the reason why they abandoned the faith is because they have not experienced the Christian vitality. They have not fully understood the gospel. They have not fully understood the life that God gives in Jesus Christ. Jesus, in the parable of the sores, parable of the soils, he says, there are people where they understand the gospel, and when they truly understand the gospel, the gospel will bring forth life. But there are people who listen to the gospel, joyfully accepts it, agrees what it says, but it's shallow. But when persecutions, when the cares of life, when the deceitfulness of riches come, these things choke out the gospel. So the reason why Phygellus and Hermogenes left the gospel is perhaps is because they had a shallow understanding of the gospel and they never had a true understanding of the gospel that, that led to spiritual vitality. Listen to me carefully. If you do not experience the life of God, if you only have a shallow understanding of the gospel and never, never have the life with God in your life, then I think it's a matter of time for you to depart the faith. Because you cannot hold on to shallow faith forever. Eventually, you will leave it. Look, some Christians publicly declare they're leaving the faith. I am leaving the faith, some people say. They publicly declare their deconstruction. But to many people, many Christians leave the faith, not through public declaration, but quiet quitting. People qu quietly quit being a Christian. They will never admit to themselves they're quitting Christianity. But functionally, but not going to church, not fellowship with God, not fellowship with his people, they're in a sense quitting Christianity. If your understanding of the gospel is shallow, and if you never really had a spiritual, if you never really knew the spiritual vitality of the life that God has given you, it is a matter of time before you leave. Because how could you stay and why would you stay? But if you understand the gospel and experience the spiritual life in God, then you're going to be, you're going to be like Anisphorus, who was faithful to Paul and to the gospel to the end. The question we ask ourselves at the end of the message is this. Is your faith of that of Anisphorus? Or is oral phygelis and homogenes? How deep, real, and true is the gospel to you? And I experience the fruit of the gospel, which is life with God. Or, it, or is your faith not a, not a deep understanding of the gospel? Or is your faith something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your Christianity something other than the gospel of Jesus Christ?
What is it? Before it's too late, I ask that you ask the God, God so that you will understand the gospel, so that you will experience on a daily basis the, 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 the living with God, the life of God flowing through you. Let us pray.